Just so you know, uh, Pastor Dan uh, made the decision that uh, the next few Sundays, the last few Sundays in Lent, uh, before we reach Easter on April 12, he's going to be preaching through uh, the lectionary and focusing on the gospel text of the lectionary uh, passages for the next several Sundays. So the, the text for this Sunday from lectionary is John 4, so Pastor Dan asked me if I would preach on John 4 so you can begin to turn there and and we're going to take a, a closer look at John 4 this morning. You know, we all uh, remember the, the misfit cast of characters from The Wizard of Oz, right? There was the, the wildly overdramatic Judy Garland as Dorothy, the emotional teenager from Kansas, along with Toto, her, her cute little pet muskrat. Remember... Or was that a dog? Um, uh, Judy enters this bizarre dream world of flying monkeys and cycling witches and little singing munchkins. And fortunately, a few friends come to her aid, including a very friendly scarecrow, a practically-minded tin man, and a tender-hearted lion. However, each friend uh, was deficient in some way or another. Uh, the scarecrow lacked a brain, the lion lacked courage, and the tin man, of course, was missing a heart. On the outside, each one was fully intact, but on the, each, but on the inside, each was missing something very essential. So they set out on a quest for Oz, hoping to find that which would complete their characters and bring purpose and meaning to their lives. You know, in some ways, the Wizard, the Wizard of Oz is a, is a parable of Christian living. We all find ourselves severely damaged by sin. Each of us longs for a richer, more meaningful experience of life. We, we all come to the place where we realize that our, that our outward appearance may not be backed up by what's missing on the inside. And so we search for something more. As I told you, we're going to be taking a look at John 4 this morning. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 29. Uh, as is our custom, uh, we stand for the reading of the gospel. So if you're physically able this morning, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read. Once again, John 4, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 29 from the NIV. This is the New International Version. Hear the word of the Lord from John 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a, Samaritan, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth and power of your word this morning. And Lord, we simply ask you would speak the truth of your word to our hearts today. Help us to understand what you were saying to us and help us to respond in obedience. For we pray in the name of Christ, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. You know, the story of the Bible is really just one big rescue story. It's a story of God coming down into the circumstances of our lives and, and really to come on a rescue mission. The people of Jesus' day never got that. The Pharisees, they didn't understand it at all. Remember, they asked the question of some of his disciples, why does Jesus eat with publicans and sinners? Why does he continue to hang out with people like this? The answer that Jesus gave to that question was, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We read in John chapter three, this is what John says in chapter three of his gospel, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Look back further, the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Remember Zacchaeus was a cheat, no, nobody liked him, so he, he was isolated, he was an outcast, had to hang out by himself. What does Jesus say when Zacchaeus' life has changed? He says, salvation has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So those who know they are lost, those who recognize, those who recognize they are lost, they are outcast, they are shunned, 
they're the ones who truly listen to what Jesus has to say. They are truly interested in Jesus. And that's what we're going to find this morning as we take a closer look at John chapter 4. So we just read John 4, the encounter uh, with the Samaritan woman by the well that Jesus has. If we go back and read John 3, we see the story of another encounter Jesus had, one with a religious man named Nicodemus. And of course, John 4, we have the encounter with the woman at the well who is, for lack of a better phrase, a religious nobody, if you will. So Jesus is dealing with both ends of the social spectrum here. On the one hand, he's got this really bright guy, this, this sharp guy who has a social position and who needs the story of Jesus. And then he comes to this other lady, again, who's at the other end of the spectrum. The first encounter takes place during the evening hours when it's dark because, well, quite frankly, the guy's a bit of a coward. He's in hiding, if you will. And the second one that we've just read about takes place in the middle of the day because the woman is a Samaritan who also happens to be a moral outcast, also in hiding. So what Jesus is doing here, he's crossing the boundaries. He's crossing the barriers of both race and gender. You're not supposed to talk to women in the public like this. And even more so as a Jew, you're not supposed to speak to Samaritans. But why would we be surprised, right? What, what else would we expect from the one who was described right there in verse 42 as the savior of the world? So, so let's dig a little deeper. Let's dig a little deeper into our text for this morning. Excuse me, I'm a little dry. Try to imagine. Try to imagine how scary it would be if everything you've ever said or done or even thought was projected up onto that screen for everybody to see your entire life. Would that be absolutely terrifying? It would for me, right? If people knew everything about us, everything we've ever done or even thought, we would be embarrassed, ashamed, and absolutely horrified. You know, I would guess that there are likely millions of people who go through life in virtual hiding like the characters we just mentioned here in the Gospels this morning. I, I would guess there are millions of people who go through life in virtual hiding. People are afraid to let anyone get too close to them, to know everything about them, because if others knew what they've done and who they really are, they would face the possibility of being both despised and rejected, treated like outcasts, right? In John 4, we read the story of how God comes to those whose lives have been wrecked by sin. This story is about how God comes to people who don't think that they belong. How God comes to people who don't think that they fit in. Jesus and his friends were traveling north from Jerusalem up to, up to Galilee, which is where they spent most of their time. And John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria in verse 4. Well, not really. <laughs> Actually, Jewish travelers regularly avoided Samaria, always taking a much longer route. Why? Well, that was about division and mistrust that had gone back hundreds of years between Jews and Samaritans. And we see in verse 9, John adds, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So no, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Samaria. 
Jesus didn't have to be there. He chose to be there. It's the middle of the day. Jesus is tired and thirsty, so he stops by the well to rest for a few moments. And that's when she comes, right? She didn't come early in the morning or late in the day as all the other women do. She comes in the middle of the day, 12 noon, the text says. That alone tells us all we need to know about her position in the community and really of her own view of herself. Outcast, right? And then Jesus asks her a question. Would you give me a drink, he says, which is, is just not normal just not acceptable. Again, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus goes on to mention this thing about living water to her, and he kind of piques her interest a little bit. Jesus can see something in her that we do not see. He can see that she is in hiding. He can see that she's not being honest with herself, right? She's in hiding. Jesus can see that. She's afraid, so she dodges his questions. She tries to change the subject, And what does Jesus do? He lets her know that he knows. He asks her, go go call your husband, he says. I don't have a husband, she replies. Jesus says, that's true. In fact, you've gone through five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband either. And now the woman's deepest fear has come true. Her absolute worst fear has come true, that someone knows all about her. Now Jesus has her undivided attention. With one big statement, Jesus opens up the woman's deepest self. But here's the difference. Jesus doesn't do it to be harsh or critical like everyone else does, like everyone else has, right? He knows that if she can't face herself and and admit that these messy relationships are sin, then she can never truly drink of this living water. This is about being real. This is about both being honest with myself and with God about who I really am and where I'm at. This is about being real. What changes this woman is that even though Jesus sees the ugly truth of her life, he doesn't push her away. He he doesn't reject her like everyone else does like everyone else has. He accepts her and loves her, and that's why she is able to say in verse 29, come see a man who knows everything about me and still loves me. Come see a man who watched the video screen of my life and still didn't push me away. Maybe you've noticed this, and I have to say right here and now that I, what I'm about to say, I wrote this before this COVID-19 <laughs> Um, situation has exploded. Maybe you've noticed that um, the connectedness between people in our society has declined. Again, before (laughs) the situation which we find ourselves, um, connectedness between people in our society has dropped, and I would say significantly so. And although the level of connectedness between people in society has declined rapidly, people's need for connectedness has not declined, has not diminished in any way. We still need connectedness, right? People still long for fellowship and connectedness. God has made us social beings. People are hungry for fellowship. People have a longing to connect and be in relationship with others. One of my favorite authors is John Ortberg. 
who wrote a book a few years ago now called Everybody is Normal Till You Get to Know Them. And, and, and it's a book about community. Um, he talks about how all of us are weird, quirky individuals with a, ta- with a tag that says, as is, because none of us is perfect, right? And so he mentions uh, our strong need for community, and th- this is what he says. He writes, the yearning to attach and connect, to love and be loved, is the fiercest longing of the soul. Our need for community, both with people and with the God who made us, is to the human spirit what food and air and water are to the human body. And that need will never go away. It marks us from the nursery to the convalescent home. We all have a longing for connectedness. People are still hungry for fellowship. And when people see our community, our church family, our connectedness, our community, our, our love and care and concern for one another, they will be drawn to that. They will want that for themselves. They will want to be a part of that, and we'll have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Because it is through our connection with Christ that we are connected together, right? Our communion with him produces our, communion, our union with one another. People are still hungry and desperate for fellowship and connection. Jesus came for this reason. He came to show us that we can come out of hiding. We can be real and open and honest with ourselves and with God. And only then, only when we are real and open and honest and transparent, only then can we begin to drink of his living water. Only then can he start and continue that work of transformation from from the inside out. Only when we're real and open and honest with him. I've titled this message this morning, All Dressed Up. Do I fit the part? I, I look good this morning, don't I? <laughs> My wife didn't say amen. I'm a little bit concerned. That, okay, there we go. All right. I look good this morning, right? I got my, got my double, double-breasted suit on. I got my shiny black shoes on. But since we're talking about real and being open and honest, I, I, I got to tell you, I look really good on the outside, Right? fully intact like the characters in the Wizard of Oz. I'm, uh, there's a few things on the inside. Gotta be honest with you. I've, I've got a, a hole in my sock. Let me take off my right shoe here. I've got a, I've got a hole in my sock. So I hope you forgive me. I look good on the outside. Maybe not much so on the inside. You know what? I guess I, I have an even bigger hole in my left sock. I'm kind of missing all, all my toes on that one. So Got a hole in my sock there. Sorry about that. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to be totally honest, I got to show you my tie. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. It's a little bit messy. Well, I guess while we're, while we're there, I might as well take off my coat. And my shirt has a few issues, too. So I'm kind of, my shirt's a little torn. You'll forgive me. You know, it's one thing to look good and, and all dressed up and put together on the outside, but what's going on on the inside, all right? It's only when we're real and open and vulnerable, both with ourselves and with God, only then can we truly drink of the living water that he offers us. Only then can he do that work of transformation from the inside out, and that's when we become real.
Father, again, we thank you for the truth and power of your word. And God, we simply pray that you can find us faithful, find us vulnerable, find us open and honest with ourselves and with you about where we're at and who we truly are. Lord, for the junk that is going on in the inside, Father, we confess that to you. We bring that to you when we simply ask, Lord God, that you would bring a newness, a freshness. Lord, allow us to be real. Allow us to drink from the living water that you offer. Father, as we go from here this morning, would you watch over us? Would you protect us? Would you continue to speak the truth of your word to our hearts? And Father, for everything you've done, for all that you're doing, Father, we give you our love, our praise, our thanks, and our worship, because you alone are worthy of it. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you receive the benediction? May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, put you together, spirit and soul, body and mind, and make you fit for the coming of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go in his strength and his mercy today. God bless you as you go.